Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Shudder, the premium streaming video service from AMC Networks and the largest, fastest-growing selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural content in the world. I'll be back after our first story to tell you a little more about tonight's sponsor and a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show's about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about terrifying trips, living legends, and cantankerous canines. Amodis Gyrie host of Scary Stories Told in a Dark Podcast, now in its fourth season and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, filling in for Steve Taylor. 
Tonight I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Jesse Cornett, Erica Garafa, and Jason Hill. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is brought to us courtesy of author Nicholas Gray and is voiced by Jesse Cornett. In it, we meet Ken, an unassuming fellow with a rather unusual way of making a living. That is, until he bit off more than he could chew. <laughs> Without further ado, I present to you The Dog Napper. Ken was what you'd call a dog napper. He'd make his living by stealing people's dogs from their backyards, wait for reward signs to be posted, return the dog for the reward, and be acclaimed a hero for finding their little mutts. He'd been dog napping for a few years now and wondered how long he could keep it up before his run ended. Despite what he did for a living, Ken actually hated dogs. He'd kept them in their cages without food or water. He figured why should he buy a dog if they were just going to be gone within a few days. The animals would grow thin in their cages and he didn't care. Malnourishment was just something the family would blame on the dog. If the dog hadn't run away in the first place, it wouldn't be starving. Although the dogs hadn't run away. Most of the time, Ken would snatch dogs up from dog parks or just from people's backyards. Some people would let their dogs into the backyard, then take their eyes off them for a while, giving him the perfect chance to snatch the mutts up and wait to claim his reward. Other times he'd go to the dog parks, where dogs roamed around without leashes. He'd see which dogs came to the park and what their owners looked like. Then he'd watch the owners to see how much attention they were paying to man's best friend. If they were on their phones or talking to another dog mom or dad, he'd give their dogs biscuits and lure them into his van to once again await his reward and be hailed a hero. He got the idea to do this one day by finding a lost dog named Jasper. Jasper was a little Maltese. He noticed the dog on a poster that said reward. Then underneath a picture of Jasper and Jasper's name was a dollar sign followed by 300. He quickly grabbed the dog and dialed the number on the poster. When he returned the dog to the owner, all he was worried about was getting the reward. But when the family hailed him as a hero and he received a kiss on the cheek from the perky breasted wife, he knew this was a feeling he wanted to experience again. Steal a dog, collect a reward, and be named a hero. It was the perfect scam. Before his dog napping days, he was just a petty thief. Now, on a good week, he was collecting a couple hundred dollars, which was enough to pay the bills. He got to stay at home and do nothing all day while he waited for reward posters to hit the streets. It was basically the dream job he never knew he wanted. And what if reward posters never hit the street? Well, that depended on the type of dog. 
since the size and breed of the dogs would vary. If the dog was suited for fighting, he'd sell it to his contact over there. If it was a dog they wouldn't take, then he'd put it up for sale online. If no one wanted the dog, then he'd simply put the dog down. He'd take the dog to a barren, grassy plain, chain it to a stake in the ground, point his ruger at the dog, take aim, and fire. There was no cleanup necessary. The buzzards would come and pick at the carcass till nothing was left. He felt as if he was getting away with murder, except these were just animals, according to Ken. And you can't murder an animal. Ken had been scoping this rickety house in a rundown neighborhood for a while now. The person inside was an elderly woman, which just meant stealing her dogs would be that much easier. He didn't expect much of a reward from her, considering her living situation and her age. He just needed an easy victory after what happened recently at the dog park. Ken was caught trying to steal a dog from the local dog park. He claimed he thought it was his. The owner snatched the dog back from him and walked away. Now he couldn't return to that park anymore. But it wasn't all bad, since he had multiple dog parks he'd cycled through. He knew he would have to lay low for a while, so no more dog park snatches for him for the time being. This elderly lady had no husband, only her dogs, a German Shepherd and a Beagle. A normal person would feel sorry for her, but not Ken. He saw an easy target. He even mulled over the possibility of a home invasion, but that's how the best thieves slip up. They try to one-up their usual routine and are caught right in the act, and after Ken's recent close call, he just needed to get his feet back in the game, and stealing this old lady's dogs was like stealing food off a free sample tray. Plus, he expected at least $50 and a batch of cookies while he was at it. You know, for his troubles. Loose planks of wood made up the fence. He ripped a few boards off and laid them on the ground. He wanted to make it look like the dogs broke free so the lady would know her dogs escaped. He could taste those cookies now. Ken whistled and the two dogs she'd recently let out into the backyard perked their heads up. He waved a meaty treat through the fence hole and the two dogs came near. One was a German Shepherd and the other was a Beagle. Ken had dealt with all sizes of dogs and for some odd reason most dogs seemed to trust him. The dogs ventured through the hole while Ken opened the back of his van. He threw the treats into the back and the two dogs jumped in. Those cookies were tasting better and better. He went around to the driver's side door, got into the vehicle, revved the engine, and drove back to his homely trailer. He got to his trailer with the two dogs waving the treats towards the cages he'd set up for them. He threw the treats into the back of the cages, and each dog went into their own designated prison. This was the smoothest heist he'd ever pulled off. He went over to his couch, turned on his gaming console, and began playing his video games. The dogs were strangely quiet. He didn't have to go over to their cages once to spray them with a water bottle he kept handy for any possible yappers, but these two were exceptionally quiet. 
almost too quiet. He stopped playing his game and went to go check on the dogs. There they stood, in their cages, not making a move. When he entered the kitchen where their cages were, they both turned their heads and peered up at him. Their eyes met Ken's and he shuddered. These dogs were unsettling for some reason, but Ken couldn't put his finger on it. He knelt in front of the cages and looked at the dog's collars. The German Shepherd's tag read Aldrich. He looked over at the other dog, the Beagle, whose tag read Wilmer. He looked at Aldrich's eyes. They stared at each other, and then Aldrich blinked. What in the world? Ken said as he watched the dog's eyelids blink vertically from side to side instead of up and down. It's like it had a pair of hidden eyelids that lay in its eye sockets. Ken shook it off and continued to look the dog in the face, analyzing it. It had deep black scars that formed what looked to be a cross on the dog's face. And this old lady tortured her animals? Ken looked over at Wilmer and saw the same cross-like scar on his face. What the hell did she do to you guys? He asked, not expecting any answers back, other than maybe a few barks to be let out of their cages. But they didn't even do that. They didn't pant, whine, bark, or make a peep. He went back to the couch and plopped onto its cushions. With his controller in his hands, he continued his mission, taking his eyes off the kitchen to focus on more important things. Ken was killing Nazi zombies in a video game. He licked his lips as he mashed the buttons and twiddled the analog stick from side to side. A booming sound from a shotgun bounced around the tinny trailer as Ken nailed a zombie in the head. Boom! Headshot! <laughs> Ken yelled out in excitement as he killed the last zombie, clearing the level and moving on to a point in the game he hadn't reached yet. The sound was deep and rumbled as it echoed through his head. Ken dropped his controller and turned around the room, but there was no one in sight. Who's there? He didn't get a response. I'm fucking losing my mind, Ken whispered to himself. Then his stomach began to rumble. Great. I hope I still have one hungry man dinner left in the freezer. He walked over to the refrigerator and peered into the freezer. Luckily, there was one microwavable meal sitting all lonesome just for him. It was a Salisbury steak meal with mashed potatoes and corn. Unwrapping the plastic, he placed the small cardboard tray into the microwave and punched in the time. He hit the start button and the plate inside started to spin. The deep voice returned. Ken turned around and looked at both ends of the trailer, but once again saw no one. He looked down at the dogs. 
The dogs just stared at him, and he returned their stare. The fuck are you two looking at? Ken asked, then kicked Wilmer's cage. <clears throat> but Wilmer didn't flinch. I can't wait to get rid of you two. <sighs> Ken said, and returned to his couch to play video games till his meal was heated up. A few minutes had passed, and the microwave beeped obnoxiously. Ken got up and walked to the kitchen. He opened the microwave door and peeled the seal off the top of the cardboard tray. It steamed upwards and Ken backed slightly away. He left it in the microwave to cool down and went back to the couch to continue killing zombies. He mashed in a zombie's head with the butt of his gun and then shot it in the face. Ken let out a cheer while mashing the buttons on his controller, filling the room with clicks. Then something thumped onto the kitchen floor. Ken's heart leapt out of his chest. Then he listened as the thump turned into a dragging noise. He paused his game and got up from the couch, heading toward the kitchen. Then he stopped. Lying next to the dog's cages was an empty microwave dinner tray. At first, wonder struck him, then anger soon came after. The tray was missing its Salisbury steak. The mashed potatoes and the corn covered the ground. He cursed, picked up the steakless box, kicked Aldridge's cage, and threw the box away into the trash. <sighs> Pizza it is! <sighs> Ken said angrily, staring the dogs down. How exactly they got the food from the microwave was beyond him. The dogs were in their cages, and the microwave was opposite from them. However, the only thing Ken cared for was the fact they ate his food. Fucking mutts. A few days passed, and other than the odd black inky substance that formed around the animal's cages, a substance that took him a while to scrub off the floor, the days went by without incident. Ken figured it was about time he walked around the old lady's neighborhood to search for lost pet signs. He got to the street where he'd originally stolen the dogs, and lo and behold, signs were affixed to the utility poles. The sign read, Lost Dogs with two pictures of Aldrich and Wilmer. There was a small paragraph under the photos with a large red printed warning. If found, call immediately. Dogs may be dangerous. Handle with care. But there was no reward offered on the sign, just the old lady's phone number. What a crock of shit, Ken thought to himself. He didn't expect much of a reward, but for none to be posted was a bad sign. It probably meant cookies were off the table as well. He grabbed the poster and hopped back into his van. He sat in his car and thought for a moment. He knew the shepherd Aldrich would go to a dogfighting ring easily. Wilmer the Beagle, on the other hand, he'd have a tougher time getting rid of. Not many people were looking for beagles, especially one its age. Ken would probably have to put it down. He hadn't had to put a dog down in a while. He folded the poster and pushed it into his pocket. He drove up to his trailer and hopped out of his car. 
He walked up to his trailer with his keys in hand and began to unlock the door when what sounded like rummaging came from within his trailer. He put his ear to the door and heard screeching. He unlocked his trailer and entered the house. It was a wreck. What the hell happened here? Ken yelled. Did someone break into the house without breaking the door down? No, it couldn't be. It had to be those damn dogs. But how? They'd been locked in their cages the whole time he was gone. Right? He went to the kitchen and just stared at the cages. The bars of the cages bent inwards. It looked as if something had eaten through the metal. Again, he asked himself, how? He heard a noise over his shoulder and spun around. He thought he saw movement behind the couch. Creeping as slowly as he could, he approached it. He called the dog's names and whistled out. Wilmer! Aldrich! Puppies? <laughs> then, Wilmer jumped up on the couch and just stared at Ken. You fucking mutt! You wrecked my house! He screamed, bringing his hands upwards, then downwards onto the dog. He nailed the dog in the jaw and knocked it to the ground. But the way his hand contacted the dog didn't feel right. It was a mushy feeling like the dog didn't have a skull. The dog got up, turned to face Ken again, and just stared. Ken took a few paces backwards. This isn't right. And then it happened. The dog began to growl, and its face began to open. The scars Ken saw before became slits, and its face bloomed open. The slits spread apart and formed four black flaps, with each flap having at least two dozen sharp teeth. The growl turned into an ear-piercing screech. Ken fell backward and began to kick his feet out, propelling him backwards. What the fuck? Oh, God! Ken yelled as the thing took small steps toward him. The beagle's slow strides became larger as the fur from its legs slipped away, revealing long, slick, twig-like legs. The thing doubled in size. A black, ink-like substance oozed from it. On some parts of the beagle's body was torn skin and fur, but underneath it was a black mass. How this thing was contained in that small dog, Ken couldn't understand. Ken's backpedaling halted when his back met the kitchen counter. The demonic creature let out a final screech and leapt towards Ken. He kicked his leg out and the creature's flaps clamped down on his foot. Ken let out a yelp, then a scream. He looked down at the creature, and it was whipping its head back and forth, like dogs do when they get hold of a chew toy. He could feel the thing's teeth piercing his leg, giving him that pins and needles feeling one gets when blood flow is cut off, but ten times worse. 
He pelted its mushy head with his fist, but it did no good. He reached for the kitchen drawer, grabbed a large knife, and plunged it into the creature's side. It immediately let go of Ken's leg and screeched. Then it ran back out of the kitchen and hid behind the couch. Ken attempted to stand, but he couldn't put any weight on his ankle. He cursed as pain surged through his body. He hobbled to another drawer in the kitchen and pulled out the Ruger he used to put the dogs down. He hoped it would do the trick. He loaded a cartridge into the gun and turned the safety off. He turned his body toward the couch. He leaned against the counter to take the pressure off his hurt foot. The thing that had been Wilmer came around the corner and screeched. Ken fired, but the shot missed. The creature leapt at Ken again, causing him to fall on his back. Ken held the dog's throat as it tried to clamp its toothy flaps onto Ken's face. Ken struggled, leaning one way and then the other, not wanting to look directly at the thing. Its tongue slid out of its mouth. It was unusually long. The tongue landed on Ken's face and it rubbed at it in circular motions. Ken squirmed at the slimy feel its tongue gave off. Then the thing began to spew ink straight into his face. Ken struggled to breathe as it came at him in full force. The thing screeched and Ken cursed. He worked the gun underneath Wilmer and fired. The creature went flying and hit the ground a few feet away from him. He took in a deep breath and fell backwards onto the kitchen floor. He killed it. He was safe now. He closed his eyes and breathed heavily. In through his mouth and out through his nose. He thought about pulling the poster from his front pocket and giving the nice old lady some harsh words. He had so many questions he wanted answered, like what exactly was her little pet, because Ken knew damn well this wasn't any kind of dog he had ever seen before. Was it a mutated dog? An alien? What could that demonic creature be? He reached into his pocket for the poster, but it wasn't there. It must have fallen out of his pocket. He shut his eyes and leaned his head back. Then a sudden thought came into his head. Aldrich. A deep growl ripped through the air, and Ken opened his eyes to see the shepherd hovering over him with its flaps bloomed, fully opened. It was much bigger than Wilmer, so it must have needed more time to shed its dog-like exterior probably lurking in the restroom during the scuffle with the beagle. The thing growled, and its face opened into four large flaps. Food. The deep rumbling voice turned into a guttural demand. Ken realized then that the thing was putting the word into his head. It was talking to him telepathically. Aldrich was informing him that it was hungry, and Ken was the only thing in stock. It let out one final screech 
and brought its face down on Ken's with lightning speed. I hope you enjoyed The Dog Napper by Nicholas Gray, as performed by Jesse Cornett. Up next, we've got a tale for you from author N.B. Smith that breathes new life into an old legend, literally. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Shudder, the only video streaming service for horror fans like you and I, and a special offer they've got for those of you listening in tonight. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Shudder, the only video streaming service for horror fans like and I, and a special offer they've got for those of you listening in tonight. AMC Network's Shudder is a premium streaming video service, super-serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder's irrepressible and thriving community revels in all things provocative, evocative, and dangerous. From bantering with Shudder on social media and contributing fantastic irreverent reviews to relishing in member-only perks such as exclusive releases and VIP movie screenings, Shudder believes there is safety in numbers. Don't be left in the dark alone. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for just $5.99 per month, or save yourself nearly $15.00 and sign up annually for only $56.99 per year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. Think of it as the Netflix for horror. You can count on Shudder.com to keep you guessing with the unexpected. Each and every week, new edge-of-your-seat suspense, spine-tingling thrillers, and shocking horrors are added to their already formidable library. And Shudder is uncluttered, too. After signing up, you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including iPhone and iPad, Apple TV, Android devices, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, and for our gamers out there, the Xbox One. So, no matter what your device of choice may be, there's no need to go without your fix of the frightening. Shudder's got your back. And best of all, Shudder's content is unparalleled in the genre, with a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits you'll never run out of nightmare fuel. We here at Scary Stories Told in the Dark have been signed up with Shudder for months now, and I can't believe what we're missing out on. Collections like classic slashers, take me back to the glory days of suspense, and if you're in the mood for some femme fatales, the Vengeance is Hers set will make certain you'll never underestimate a woman's penchant for mayhem again. And of course, there are horror comedies too, so you can enjoy a good laugh at someone else's expense. (laughs) Yeah. My team and I love the classics, so that alone was worth the price of admission for us. Once you add in all the vast selection of new content and their extensive exclusive library, none of which you'll find on Netflix, 
There's no reason to ever look anywhere else for our horror film fix. The exclusives they have, and are always adding, are absolutely incredible. The new Shudder original, A Discovery of Witches, is available now, in which brilliant historian Diana Bishop is a witch denying her own heritage. But when she unexpectedly calls up an ancient bewitched manuscript, which she finds herself thrown into the heart of a dangerous mystery and into the path of the enigmatic geneticist and vampire Matthew Claremont, you won't want to miss it. You will also enjoy Monster Party, a new Shudder exclusive centered around three young men who infiltrate a mansion dinner party secretly hosted by a group of recovering murderers for their social elite. And in Stanley's Lucky Man, another feature available only on Shudder that asks, what if you could control luck? Would that be the greatest power you could give a man or his worst nightmare? In Lucky Man, Shudder's bold crime thriller, a brilliant but flawed cop can do just that, when he becomes the unexpected recipient of a very unusual superpower. All of this is just the tip of the blood-soaked iceberg. There's so much more lurking inside, just waiting to be discovered. Best of all, Shudder's always got something amazing to look forward to. On June 6th, just last month, their brand new exclusive film, Boar, went live, and you can check it now, included with your membership. And last month, two other originals, The Night Shifter and The Ranger, landed on the network. You won't want to miss any of them, and you don't have to when you sign up today. All of this, and much, much more, is available and at your fear-loving fingertips for just $5.99 a month. And this month, as a listener of this program, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free by using promo code CTDN. That's right. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R. R.com and use promo code CTDN to let them know that Otis Jiry and the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights folks sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and promo code CTDN. Thanks so much for listening and for giving Shudder a try this month. What have you got to lose? Except for maybe some sleep? <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> now that we've delivered you a fuel tank of nightmare fuel, courtesy of Shudder, allow me to rekindle the digital campfire of my own design with a frightening tale. Up next, we leave behind the world of animalistic mayhem and turn our attention to a school where the young students have far more to worry about than passing their tests. In their sleepy little town, there's far more to their local legends than meets the eye. From author N.B. Smith, as brought to life by voice actress Erica Garafa, I present to you, my middle school has its own variation of Bloody Mary, but she was real. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. 
Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everyone knows the story of Bloody Mary, and everyone knows how to summon her. Say her name three times in front of a mirror with the lights off. Of course, there are slight variations to the exact story, depending on where you live, but it's all basically the same, right? My school was no different. A bunch of us girls in the seventh grade would gather up in the bathroom at least once a week, turn off the lights, and say her name three times. Of course, nothing happened, but I always kept my eyes squeezed closed, so even if something did happen, I wouldn't have seen it. We were a bit morbid, thinking back on it. I knew that it wouldn't work, but I also knew that we shouldn't be tempting fate. The urban legend states that she would kill you or scratch your eyes out. So why exactly would we even have wanted to try to summon her? I guess kids do stupid things when they're young, but that's no excuse for how far it went. Like I said, it started with a bunch of us in the seventh grade doing the ritual in the bathroom closest to our fourth period class. The six of us had all met in fourth period at the beginning of the year, and since fourth period was right before lunch, we would all slip away and do our ritual without being bothered. Bloody Mary, or Mary as we began to call her, became almost like a long-lost friend of ours. I don't think that my friends knew that I kept my eyes closed, though and I wasn't about to tell them that it was possibly my fault that it wasn't working. Nothing happened over the span of a few months. No Mary appearance, although we tried a bunch of variations. At least, until the day that Cassie, the unofficial leader of our little group, ran up to me in a huff outside before school started. "'Hey, Nikki,' she said. "'I found a real way to get Mary to appear!' I already told the others, but we've got to meet at the outside bathroom by the pavilions to make it work. I tried to question, to protest, but the bell had rung and she was already walking away. Just meet there, okay? She called over her shoulder. The bathroom by the pavilions was the worst. It wasn't connected to the main school building, so it had no air conditioning, and even worse, no inside lights. The only source of light was provided by a single flickering bulb and small grates that allowed the sunlight to filter in. And to top it off, the whole place smelled like a porta potty. The outside bathroom was truly awful. But I did as I was told and met the girls right after the bell rang for lunch. Instead of turning the light off immediately, though, Cassie gathered us all up in front of the row of sinks. Gesturing to the middle sink in the row of five, she said, I finally figured it out! My brother's girlfriend came over the other night, and she said that she and her friends were able to see Mary here. And she lived? Why here instead of any other mirror? What did she say happened? Bethany, Nia, and Erica all spoke at once, 
and Cassie waved a dismissive hand. She didn't go into so much detail because my parents were out and she was going into my brother's room. But she said we first have to acknowledge Mary's baby and then it will work. Mary's baby? I asked. Not quite understanding, but definitely not wanting anything to do with a ghost baby. Yeah, that's what she said. It'll take a few days, but she said it will for sure work. Okay, how do we do it then? Nia chimed in from the back. I was already somewhat apprehensive being in the very isolated, very creepy outside bathroom, but I felt my stomach immediately drop when Cassie said, First, we have to summon Mary's baby. My body instantly wanted to flee, and I wished that I had trusted my instincts. Instead, I stayed silent and let Nia ask, Wait, I thought that Mary killed her babies, didn't she? Well, yeah, but in death she still wants them. Cassie replied. I guess. Okay, so how do we do this baby thing, and why do we have to do it here? Erica asked, her nose scrunching up at the smell. Cassie sighed and said, I don't know. Tyler's girlfriend said something about the baby being born prematurely and being stuffed down the sink without anyone knowing. Bethany opened her mouth to say something, but Cassie continued, I know, okay? I know it sounds dumb, but she said it worked. And whatever we've been doing hasn't, so we can at least try it, right? We all shrugged in agreement, and after looking at each of us directly, Cassie began again. Okay, so first, we have to have the water on. Cold water only. She turned on the tap, then pointed at Bethany, who was closest to the door. Then, lock the door and turn the light off. When Bethany did so, Cassie instructed us all to gather in front of the dirty mirror above the running middle sink. Okay, now hold your arms like you're holding a little baby. Look straight into the mirror and rock your arms back and forth while I say the words. We should feel a weight in our arms, and then we have to release it over the sink like Mary did. Ready? She looked at our reflections in the mirror, gave a nod in response to ours, and began to recite. Baby blue, baby blue, your mommy's gone away. Baby blue, baby blue, please come here to stay. Baby Blue will care for you. We're sorry your mommy could not. Baby Blue, please come to us. We promise that you won't rot. Baby Blue, your mommy's gone. But we will heal your pain. Baby Blue, please come to us. Your mommy is insane. The rhyme itself was disturbing. But even worse was the squeal that rang out from the faucet almost as soon as Cassie had finished her recitations. Surely it was the sound of a whining pipe, but it sounded sort of like a baby crying. Now! Cassie yelled, and we all released our arms and bolted toward the door. Once safely outside, Cassie looked at us and grinned. I think it worked! We have to do this again every day for the next week or so, but I think it worked! We all looked at each other, unsure if we had all experienced the same thing, and then Bethany spoke up. What was that sound? Was it the baby or just the pipes? Cassie shrugged. I don't know, but once we finish this, it's really going to work. Let's meet here at the same time tomorrow. With that, she turned and began walking to the cafeteria, and we all slowly followed. The next day, we met at the outside bathroom again at the same time. This time, when Cassie turned on the faucet, the squealing began immediately. 
It truly sounded like a baby crying, and I was freaked out immediately, but Cassie shut down my objections and told Bethany to lock the door and turn off the light. As soon as the lights were off, I squeezed my eyes shut. Cassie recited her poem, and I tried my best to block out the sound of the crying baby-sounding squeal of the water faucet. What I couldn't brush off, though, was the weight that I had felt suddenly placed in my cradled arms. When Cassie said, Now! I was the first to the door. I tried to ask the girls about it later, but none of them would honestly answer whether or not the pipe sounded like a crying baby, or if any of them had felt the weight in their arms. We repeated this for the next few days, but I no longer cradled my arms. I may have imagined it, but I did not want to feel that weight again. After Friday's ritual, Cassie grinned at us all and said, Monday should be the final one. We'll finally see Mary! We all talked over the phone during the weekend, but Erica was the only one who felt anything similar to the apprehension that I did. She didn't tell the others, though. Only me. So when Monday came around, I guessed that I wasn't the only one feeling the growing dread in the pit of my stomach. The clock ticked by and the anxiety grew worse, until it was finally time. I felt like I was going to vomit. We all met up at the bathroom and followed Cassie in. Her confidence seemed to spread throughout us, and while it did help a bit, I felt like the other girls had gotten the majority of it. I still ended up in front of that mirror, terrified. Cassie turned the sink on, and I didn't even wait for Bethany to turn the lights off before I closed my eyes. The sound of the baby crying began almost at the same time that Cassie began to recite the poem. Baby blue, baby blue, your mommy's gone away. Baby blue, baby blue, please come here to stay. Baby blue, we'll care for you. We're sorry your mommy could not. Baby blue, please come to us. We promise that you won't rot. Baby blue, your mommy's gone, but we will heal your pain. Baby blue, please come to us. Your mommy is insane. It felt like the air had been sucked out of the room in an instant, and I fought to breathe through the hot thickness. I heard someone whimper softly, Erica maybe, but I refused to open my eyes and so I couldn't be sure. I stood completely motionless, with Cassie and Nia on my left, and Bethany and Erica on my right. The events that followed are something that I only allow myself to think of in my darkest moments, but that will always be imprinted in my mind. Drop the baby! Cassie yelled at the same time that someone on my right began to scream. Shortly afterwards, someone else, I think it was Nia, began to scream as well. Drop the baby now! Cassie yelled out again, and through the screams I heard a new sound. It sounded like an old t-shirt being ripped up, but as if the fabric was wet. No! Someone yelled, and then there was a new sound. A bubbling, gurgling, wet noise. I wrapped my arms around myself and took a step back away from the other girls. The ripping sound increased in frequency, and the cry of the baby became more shrill. Mary! I heard Cassie mutter, followed by another scream. My eyes! Someone on my right yelled out, and I couldn't take any more. I raced towards the bathroom door, blindly running my hand against it to find the deadbolt. 
There was a horrible, wet, snarling sound behind me, and I had just touched my fingers against the cold metal of the lock when I felt something grab me by the shoulder, sending a searing pain down my arm before I felt my body being thrown backwards. I must have hit my head because I passed out soon afterwards. I woke up in the hospital with my parents by my side. We were soon joined by police officers who wanted to talk to me about what happened. My father tried to protest. She's been unconscious for five days and she's obviously been traumatized. Can't this wait? Sir, I understand that this is troubling, the officer replied. But how would you feel if you were the father of one of the other girls? Please, sir. She may be able to provide crucial information about all of this. My father stepped aside with a sigh and let one of the officers approach my hospital bed. Hi, Nikki, he said with a soft smile. I need to ask you about what went on in the bathroom, about what happened to you and your friends. Do you think that you can do that for me? I nodded slightly before asking, Did something happen to my friends? Are they okay? The officer's eyes briefly darted away from me, and I continued, You aren't going to believe me when I tell you, and I didn't see anything anyways because my eyes were kept shut the entire time. I really, truly didn't see anything, I promise. I only... I only heard things. The policeman continued smiling warmly and said, It's okay, Nikki. Just tell me everything that you heard then. I told them the entire story about Mary and our ritual, and as I went on, my parents' faces became more horrified. I was embarrassed, and I was ashamed, but mostly I was scared of what may have happened to Cassie and the others. When I had finished describing everything, I asked the officer about my friends. He apologized and said he wasn't allowed to discuss it with me. The cops left the room, so I asked my parents the same question, and it caused my mom to break out in tears. I ended up not finding anything out until a few weeks later, when I was checked into an inpatient mental health facility for a mandatory stay of at least 90 days. I had no idea what was going on, but I saw a therapist daily to discuss what went on in the bathroom. After the first few days of me repeating the details over and over during our long session, the therapist finally began to discuss what happened with me. Some of my friends had been hurt that day. One of them had died. My therapist really wanted me to name which friend had done this to the rest of us, citing my horribly bruised shoulder as proof that someone physically in the bathroom had done this. She wouldn't accept my explanation of Mary. I'm pretty sure she thought it was Cassie. Little by little, my therapist slipped the details. I'm sorry, Nikki, but I just can't accept that something supernatural attacked you and your friends. How, then, could Bethany be blinded but not the others? How could Erica's cheek be mutilated at nearly the same time? Do you believe that a supernatural being attacked all of you at the same time but with different attacks? All within just a few minutes? How would that be possible? I had no answer. During another session, she asked... How, then, could Nia be murdered directly beside all of you if the same entity was attacking both Erica and Bethany? Are you sure that you didn't see anything at all? And at another, she said, Nikki, 
Nia was standing on the farthest left side right next to Cassie. Her body was cut open in ribbons. You had your eyes closed the entire time, as you've said many times. You only recall Cassie saying things related to Bloody Mary and the ritual, as you call it. Would it be possible that Cassie could have moved without you knowing, say, to your right side, where Bethany was? Is it possible that Cassie had something sharp, like a pair of scissors? Something to cut both Nia and Bethany? The therapist refused to acknowledge anything that I said. She insisted that I must have been confused, hearing Cassie's voice on the left and Bethany's voice on the right at the same time. She said I must have been mistaken when I heard the growling, the snarling, and the terrified voices of my friends as I fumbled to find the lock on the bathroom door. That I must have seen something, and couldn't possibly have kept my eyes shut the entire time. The therapist was an idiot. I continued to tell the truth, and after 90 days, I was allowed to go home. I had missed Nia's funeral, and I soon found out that Bethany and Erica were leaving the state, while Cassie had been charged and held responsible for Nia's death, and subsequently confined to a psychiatric hospital. My parents chose to homeschool me. It's been a decade, and I try not to think about any of this. In fact, I was able to forget about it for a few years. I was able to live my life normally, albeit avoiding mirrors as much as possible. Just living my life and getting by. Until Cassie called me a few days ago. I don't even know how she found my number, but she's left a few voicemails now and hasn't stopped calling. I listened to one voicemail and heard what she wanted, and now I'm trying to convince myself that I want nothing to do with any of it. She has a plan set, and I don't want to be involved. I don't. However, I have to admit that I have fantasized occasionally about us all going back and performing the ritual, this time with video evidence. I've always wanted to call Bethany and Erica and ask them what they saw, but I never found the courage. A part of me truly wants to know what actually happened that day, wants to try again and keep my eyes open this time but I honestly don't think that I could go through it again. Then again. I hope you enjoyed My Middle School, had its own variation of Bloody Mary, But She Was Real, by author N.B. Smith, as performed by Erica Garafa. Up next, we've got one final terrifying tale for you, from an author who goes only by the name Smokin' Tuna. A true tale about a young man who saw more than he bargained for one night, while under the influence of an hallucinogenic drug, Salvia. Little did he know, the experiment would shake his very reality to its core, and show him things beyond the veil that man wasn't meant to see, which still haunt him to this very day. As performed by actor Jason Hill, I present to you Slices of Life. The following happened to me seven years ago while I was a sophomore in college and it was my first experience with any drug other than weed. Great choice, right? There are many things in this report that are downright stupid and reckless, ranging from lack of research to reckless dosing. As I said, 
This was seven years ago, and I have learned how to be responsible with drugs now. However, at the time of the report, I was a fool. In fact, this experience is the main reason why I'm extremely cautious and heavily research any drug I'm interested in taking to this day. I first heard about Salvia a year before this experience from a friend who lived down the hall from me at my dorm. He described it as a legal psychedelic. It's legal in Oregon and available in almost any smoke shop. That was super fun and a lot like weed. Those who know how wrong this is are probably rolling their eyes about now. I tried it a few times at parties in a social setting, usually in a circle of people, again. Stupid, I know. I never experienced any effects other than slight spinning and loss of balance, mainly due to the fact that we didn't know how to smoke it properly. We used these shitty small pipes, didn't hold in the hits long enough, and didn't really know what to look for. Fast forward one year later... I was at the local smoke shop in my town buying a new glass bong, my first real piece. Since I was out of weed, I decided to pick up a gram of 20x salvia as well, since I wanted to test this new masterpiece out, although I had not the slightest clue what 20x stood for at the time. Remember, at this point, I thought it was kind of like weed, but made you dizzy, giggly for a few minutes. I tried a few times in the preceding week, but didn't experience any effects other than what I described above, likely due to my failure to hold in the hits and my poor bowl lighting technique. I still thought this was fun. Eventually, I had most of the pack of salvia emptied with enough for one large bowl left. I decided the following day would be a fun time to try it out and got some rest. I woke up early the next day and went on a bike ride with my friends who, for the sake of anonymity, I'll refer to simply as S, T, and R. We got back and after relaxing for a bit, I decided to finish off the bag of salvia once and for all. What a waste of money this was, I thought. <laughs> with the exception of R... None of my friends were interested, so he and I stepped out into the garage and I sat down at the stairs and got everything ready. Next to the stairs is an old wooden fence lined with saplings and one big tree. Behind it is my neighbor's field, which had a bunch of little kids in it, running around screaming playfully. I packed the bowl, a big bowl piece, mind you, to the brim with the remaining salvia 20x extract. My friend R was too scared to try it, since he'd heard from others about its potential to create nightmarish effects. <laughs> yeah, right, I thought. So, he agreed to sit and watch me. Here goes nothing. I leaned down and torched the bowl as hard as I could. The bong filled up with way more smoke than my old pipe ever could, and I torched about half the bowl in a single hit. Since this was the last of it, I decided to hold the hit as long as I could in order to maximize the effects, which is why it finally worked. After about 35 seconds, I exhaled and noticed I was feeling weird as fuck. So... 
Like any sane 18-year-old who had no idea what they were doing, I torched the rest of the bowl in one gigantic hit and cleared the chamber, then held it as long as I could. After I exhaled for the second time, R asked me how I was feeling or if it was bunk again. I tried to ask him how come he was talking so weird, but all that came out was slurs. At this point, my vision started chopping, like everything around me was being rendered by a flipbook. I f- finally managed to say, Oh, shit. I'm gonna need a minute. Nar could tell something was up, so like a good friend, he went inside to watch TV while I proceeded to lose my mind. The last thing I remember of this reality was R walking past me, back into the house. At that point, everything was just starting. As I said before, everything in my field of vision slowed down and was being chopped up. I moved my hand in front of my face and could see that it wasn't actually moving in front of my face, but that it was actually being drawn across my field of vision like an animation or a flipbook. This, this, this is hard to describe. The best I can say is, imagine it as a flipbook. With each frame, the hand moved a little bit more across my vision, but it wasn't actually moving. It was being rendered. As soon as I realized this, I understood that I was watching reality being created instant by instant, and it isn't a constant stream of conscious like we perceive. Weird? I know. Imagine how I felt. As soon as this realization came upon me, I heard an incredibly high-pitched squeal and experienced the feeling of impending doom like something of epic importance was happening. It was at this point that I completely forgot I had smoked salvia at all. Everything that... Everything that happened after this was legitimately happening. Or so I thought. Then my reality was falling to pieces. I closed my eyes, thinking this was too much to handle... As soon as I did, I was in another world. The prior two minutes of my life were laid out in front of me like snapshots, with each picture representing a single instant in time. The pictures were being flipped to demonstrate the effect I mentioned above, that flipbook effect, and show how reality was being created. The picture then split apart and I was shown what existed behind existence, what is actually happening behind the curtain of our day-to-day lives, and at this point I had no memory of my life at all. As soon as the pictures split, I was sucked into the space between them, which I was told by some disembodied female voice that I could not place that this was the place between moments. We perceive life as a continuous stream, but in actuality, reality is completely destroyed and recreated between each instant. 
In other words, each instant is a page of the flipbook, and the previous page is destroyed and replaced with a new one. These pages were being flipped by an enormous wheel, which was the source of the noise I heard earlier. I could feel this wheel pressing up against me, threatening to destroy me and replace the current me with the me from the next moment. Naturally, I was horrified, and for some reason, filled with a sense of deja vu. I knew I'd been there before, which was weird because this was the first time I really smoked salvia. I cannot stress how powerful and massive this wheel seemed. It was the source of reality as we knew it, responsible for creating the universe around us, and it was touching me. The voice then told me that this wheel and this space is the only thing that truly exists. Reality as we know it is merely a side effect of the action of this wheel. My consciousness has existed in this space for all of eternity, being ground against this wheel, spinning with it and helping it create reality. I somehow escaped it years ago, which coincided with my physical birth, but now it somehow got me back where I belonged. I felt utterly hopeless. My entire life had been a temporary escape into a dream in order to cope with being merely a cog in the wheel, both literally and metaphorically, and now that that illusion was broken... I was trapped here again, and the entire life I lived was merely a dream. All of my friends and family, as well as any experiences I remembered, never really happened. They were just a cheap trick I used to distract myself. This... Oh, this was real existence. The feminine voice told me that everyone around me are her children and our purpose was merely to spin with this wheel and create reality. I looked around confused and realized then that I was surrounded by trillions of other little people like me, all of them trapped and spinning in order to create reality. I looked around confused and realized that I was surrounded by trillions of other little people like me, all of them trapped and spinning in order to create reality. They all screamed at me, help us, help us, help us spin, stay, stay with us. Now that you are here, you cannot leave, you cannot leave, you cannot leave, you cannot leave, you will never leave, you are us and we are you. It has always been this way and it always will. These were her children and I was her child as well. I had escaped, but now I was back. Naturally, this scared the shit out of me. I was in hell. I was always in hell. I just forgot. I was trapped there for what felt like an eternity. Time had no meaning in that place. Each second felt like countless years. 
Slowly, I began to forget my life on Earth. It was a dream, as far as I was concerned, and it felt like I was forgetting it in the same way you forget a dream minutes after waking. I was dysphoric and terrified and resigned myself to spinning for the rest of eternity. <laughs> after what felt like thousands of years, who knows... In eternity, nothing means anything. One percent of infinity is still infinity. I remember that I had somehow escaped into the dream world and normal Earth reality in the past. And maybe I could do it again. I didn't think I could get back into my old life, but maybe I could escape. And as the woman told me, be born again. Anything, even starting over in another life, would be better than that hell. I managed to turn my head to look at the wheel head-on, desperately trying to see how I escaped it in the past. I managed to turn my head so that I was looking at the wheel from the side, the flat side, so that it resembled a spinning two-dimensional circle. The wheel was divided up into slices like a pizza or the wheel on Wheel of Fortune. The pieces were broad at the top and narrowed closer to the center. Each slice was a different color, and the edges were incredibly jagged and multi-hued. There were an infinite amount of slices, and the wheel was spinning infinitely fast. This made perfect sense in salvia space. In the face of infinite time, after all, what is infinite space? Each slice whizzed by my face so closely that I could feel them pulling my face and grinding it down to my bones with an effect that felt almost electric. This felt pleasant compared to having my body constantly torn to pieces for all eternity on the other side of the wheel. As each slice rolled by, I stared intently at them. Slowly, I began to realize what I was seeing. The slices were moving so quickly that it took a while. Each slice was a moment in time belonging to someone in the dream world. Earth's reality, that is. And maybe I could use them to escape. As soon as I thought this, the female voice spoke to me again. She told me that escape was useless. And that even if I managed to escape into reality again... My return there was inevitable, either through death or by being stupid enough to smoke salvia again. I began to desperately claw at the wheel, trying to squeeze myself into one of the slices in the hope of inhabiting one of the bodies I saw represented. However, the wheel was spinning too fast, and when I touched it, it felt like electricity coursing through my body. Very very painful. I fought through the pain and clawed at the wheel more and more until very briefly the wheel appeared to stutter and slow. Hope surged through me and I began to claw harder, which caused the electric grinding feeling to increase, but I didn't care. I pulled and pulled until the wheel slowed down enough for me to look at each slice individually. As I pressed each slice, I temporarily became the person in the moment the slice belonged to. I became an alcoholic old man sitting on a couch, watching TV. 
wishing his children were still around. I became a young girl, talking on the phone with her friends. I became a father, screaming at his children, looking at his kids cowering in the corner of his kitchen. I became a junkie in an alleyway, waiting for someone to walk by so I could rob them. Each slice belonged to a person, and as I moved my hand up and down the slice, I went through their life. The top of the slice, the broad part near the edge, was the beginning of that person's consciousness, and the tip, in the center of the wheel, was the end. Their death. Moving left to right on the slice represented the different realities that person existed in based on the decisions they made. This is why the slice was broad at the top and thin at the bottom. At the beginning of one's life, they have an endless amount of paths to choose, and as they get older and closer to death, there are fewer and fewer paths to take that can steer them away. I realized that each one of these people had smoked salvia at some point in their life, which is what opened their slice to me, being able to enter it. In salvia space, you have access to the infinite timelines of others who have smoked it. For a brief second, I could see into the slice where I came from. I saw myself sitting on the stoop in my garage, sitting there, with my head down and my eyes closed. Everything was distorted, though, as if I was viewing it through the window. I touched the slice and briefly became myself again. I opened my eyes and looked around, feeling incredible joy to be back here. I instantly felt my hands slip as the wheel sped back up, and I was torn back into salvia space and away from my body. I desperately clawed at the wheel, but it was moving too quickly. I would have to wait another eternity for the wheel to revolve again so that I could reach my slice. I debated trying to jump into another person's slice to get the hell out, but I didn't know if it would work, or if it did, if I would effectively kill the person and take over their body. At that point, after experiencing so many other realities, I was having trouble remembering which one was mine. For those brief times, I fully believed myself to be the people in those moments. Who was I to say that the one I remember of me on the porch in my garage was really the reality I came from, or simply the one I touched last and remembered best? Fuck it, I thought. Anything is better than this. I waited until the wheel came around again and I could see my slice coming up. I clawed at the wheel again, once more experiencing the electric bone-drilling feeling until it slowed down. I grabbed my slice at the edges and thrust myself headfirst into it as hard as I could, desperately trying to get back to where I had been. As soon as my head made it through the slice, everything exploded. My skin was peeled off of me into countless dimensions, and my body was torn and twisted into shreds. I fell into blackness. Surrounding me were pieces of the slice I tried to climb into. Each one was a porthole, like on a submarine, into reality, but at different times of my life. 
There was no order. The windows were scattered around me. I could see a moment from when I was in middle school practicing the saxophone. I could see another of me sitting on a couch with my sister arguing about something stupid. I saw several more that I did not recognize with people I didn't know. I assumed these were from my future, or from the future of whichever person I was being displayed, at least. I didn't even know if this was me anymore, or if this was just the slice I chose. I was afraid to touch these, as I didn't know if it would cause me to experience the moment as the slice had done earlier. I also worried it might toss me in at that point of time, further forward or back in time from where I had been. Then... I finally saw something that looked familiar. I was sitting in the garage, loading up the bowl, and R was talking to me. The perspective was weird, though. It seemed like I was looking up at myself from thirty feet away, as if I was deep in the concrete floor. I grabbed the window by the sides and again thrust myself forward as hard as I could, As soon as my feet made it through, I was back in my body. Well, in someone's body, I don't know if it was mine. At that point, I still had no memories. I was an empty shell, in an unfamiliar body, in an unfamiliar place. Slowly, my recollection started to return to me. I remembered events from my childhood and my family. I remembered I was a college student... I came out to do something. What was it? I looked around and saw the bong at my feet, and suddenly it all came back to me. I smoked salvia. I cried out. That's what caused all of this. (laughs) I looked behind me and discovered I could still see the tear in space where I had pulled myself through. Her children. Her children laughing and chanting. I looked at the trees around me and could see them frantically working and creating everything around me. The trees stretched out and were trying to push me into the hole I came from. I instantly got up and ran to the other side of the garage away from the trees and the rip I created. I turned around and looked through the door into the house. Everything was still distorted and spinning and I could still hear the wheel's high-pitched shriek emanating from some unknown space. Slowly, the world became less choppy. I looked at the tear I had come through and saw millions of tiny children's hands reach through the other side, laughing hysterically the entire time, as if they found it hilarious that I had escaped. Did they know something I didn't? They pulled the rip closed and it slowly melted back together as they chanted, See you soon, see you soon, see you soon. As soon as the hole closed, I could no longer hear the scream of the wheel. I heard the female's voice one last time, however. Don't worry, it said. You'll be back soon enough, my child. Enjoy your time. To this day, this is still one of the most traumatic experiences I have ever gone through. Immediately after I came down, I ran into the house and locked my bedroom door. 
Everything felt incredibly... fake. I was shown how everything was made, how empty and pointless it all is. I had trouble talking to my roommates for a while because I saw them as philosophical zombies rather than as real people. From my newfound perspective, they were nothing but constructs. Empty shells pretending to be people. Perhaps they even were a part of the wheel. After all, I was the only person in this world. Everything else was created by the wheel. The most significant issue I had after this was that for a while afterward, I was convinced that I wasn't back in the right body. I was certain that my present body had existed normally until its former occupant decided to smoke salvia, at which point one of the wheel's children, my consciousness, hopped in while he was absent. I only have the memories I do because they're stored in this body. If I had grabbed on to another slice, I wouldn't have been thrown into that body or shell instead, and I would have slowly remembered all of their memories. In short, I hijacked this body and its prior residence is now trapped in that nightmarish realm. I know this sounds insane, and I realize that now, but it felt so incredibly real that I still have my doubts every now and then. Now, eight years later, I feel comfortable enough to talk about this experience. I have PTSD-like nightmares once every few months where I find myself back in that hellish place and I always wake up in a sweat and run across the room to get away before I realize where I am and that it was a dream. I bought more salvia off the internet, plain leaf and 5X, nothing stronger, in order to conquer my fear of the substance. <laughs> Cue laughter. I now smoke plain leaf rarely and 5X even less often and achieve an altered state of mind, but nothing of the magnitude I experienced on 20X. I am working up the courage to try and go back there so that I can see what really happened, but I know it will be a long time before I am comfortable enough to go that far. I have grown comfortable in this body the past few years, and I can't help but wonder what will happen if I can't make it back. I hope you enjoyed Slices of Life by author Smokin' Tuna, as performed by Jason Hill. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to allow us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. Of course... Please subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Shudder, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free by using promo code CTDN. That's right, 
try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. And use promo code CTDN to let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code C-T-D-N. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jack. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors, original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett, sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek, logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Leave a kind word or a request. Don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep in? (laughs) 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.